Hello, you, Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Well, here goes our final weekend podcast. Let's get cracking, shall we? Laura Donnelly joins me. She's in the West End at the moment in Jez Butterworth's new play, The Hills of California. Callum Scott Howells is here as well, chatting about his new BBC drama, The Way. Show chef Martha revisits one of my favourite dishes and my stomach is gurgling in anticipation. Plus, Maria and I are putting ourselves to good use to solve two more of your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Morning, Maria. Hello, Graham. Do I'm going to talk like this all the way through. Do you look like that? Um, that is from Bunty. In Cheadle. In Cheadle, and that is knitted, you and me, with... I've got slight cankles, Bunty, can I just tell you that? I mean, I don't in true life, but you've given me cankles, and you've given Graham gout. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't think I'm getting a shoe on. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember Bunty and Cheadle made us beautiful teapot covers. Um, oh, tea cozies, that's oh, what they're called, tea no, cozies. No, that, and now, because you were saying yes. she made teapots, and I thought, I don't remember teapots. Yes, no, the teapot cozies, I do remember. They were lovely, weren't they? Uh, and they little, did look like yeah, us. Yeah, loads would I say. Uh, Tracy, the HR director. See, you never listen to the responses. I do, I do. Well, you when must I'm, know Tracy, the HR director. When I'm not, uh, yes, I do. When I'm not, <laughs> and I'm doing it remotely, I do listen. But normally I'm rushing back on a train via Moscow. Of course. <laughs> So you missed Tracy HR director. Uh, Jennifer from Portsmouth, you'll remember. I do. Be- because uh, they had a puppy and they asked for advice. Yeah. I think we really helped. Uh, <laughs> who else? Uh, Dawn, Jim and Griffin the cat. Uh, Why are you reading people's names out for me? Because they're p- people who love you. They're oh, saying goodbye. Oh, I see. Oh, yes. love. Back at you. <laughs> Why are you reading people's names out? It's the phone book. I'm I, killing no, time. I didn't. I didn't hear the first bit. <laughs> and they have to say, um, uh, she's two chapters into bumps into the road and Hooray! crying, crying with <laughs> boredom. Uh, stop <laughs> it! How dare you? I love that I've mentioned my. No, you mentioned it actually. My yeah. B O C O K. Book. My book. Your book. B-U-K-E. Yes, as well, I'm... you don't need to tell Dawn, Jim and Griffin the cat. They're reading it already. I there love Griffin the cat. Um, just, I know it's our last day and we should be doing zoo radio, really. I'm glad, I'm glad the news has reached you. Yeah, finally. <laughs> yeah, a, I do know it's our last my day. My agent last night. Uh, yeah, bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I read a thing in the paper. Apparently... Uh... I saw it on social media. <laughs> you don't have a job, Maria. Well, apparently you're taking over from Steve Wright on Love Songs. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Ooh, ooh. No, I'm so not... I mean, why? Where did that come from? Why you're, that... you're way too sarcastic for love songs. Can you imagine me? Although I was thinking this morning when I was thinking about our 13 years that you are a bit more sentimental now than we were, both of us, I think, than when we were when we started. Do you think our advice is more empathetic and softer now? <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a TV recommendation that I just men- must, must mention because one of the listeners sent it to me because likes my recommendations, Alice and Jack, etc. And it's an Irish thing and I wondered if you'd seen it, Graham. It's on ITVX. Uh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing a little cat face and rubbing his paw, rubbing his nose with his paw. Um, it's on ITVX and it's called The Dry. You would know what that is, being Irish. That is the girl who comes back home for a funeral. Yeah. And she's an alcoholic. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, but well, I watched some of that. It was good. Very good. Uh, yeah. For some reason, I didn't finish it, but it was very good. So it was Jane Fishwick, thank you very much, who recommended it to me. And I watched it all. And it's dark. It's quite dark. But it's very Irish. The Irish mummy in it is fabulous. OK. And I quite like, what I quite liked about it was that it's not so... Irish in that it's like a very kind of uh, modern it's, suburb they live oh, in. Oh, it's, so, yeah. it's in Dublin, yeah. It's a middle class family and Kieran Hines is in it and it's very, very, very good. Oh, Kieran! Did you watch Saturday Night Takeaway last night? I watched a bit of it. I did and I mean, it was like being in Italy. <laughs> I felt like, Watching Italian television. Yeah, it was just... Channel it was just, 9. It was fabulous but crazy. I know. I did think to myself, well done them for getting a live show together that was that frenetic. But I also felt that I needed to take a Valium. I mean, you... And also, I did feel for anyone... I hope Martha Collison, who's very pregnant, our show chef... She is. She's having my baby for me. I hope she wasn't watching. (laughs) (laughs) Because little Ant and Dec would have made you think, oh, no, I mustn't have a child. I think they had been... They'd been given a lot of E-numbers, I feel, (laughs) to hype them up in case they were too dull when they bashed their way out of a paper bag to get into the studio and then they just wouldn't shut up and I could see Ant and Dec thinking oh that smile is going to fade anytime yes. soon Ant and De- I, I was saying I was saying watching it last night I would just I would forget about this idea I would just write them out I would never mention it again <laughs> just, there would never be a mention of Atlantic again yeah. Yeah. they're in prison now 
They were only five and six, but uh, they made a special yes. concession to put them in prison. For crimes against television. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, now, uh, yes. So you're, you're taking. I've got false eyelashes on because you're taking us all to lunch. Apparently, we're going to Buckingham Palace. Is that true? That's right. Uh, Excellent. The king, the king has given a special dispensation, and we're all being knighted. And you've bought us all a house, like Oprah Winfrey. That kind of thing. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's really generous, isn't it? Well, what I've done is I've got a deal on some. I've got, I've got a Nando's. deal. Yeah, I've got Two a, for one at Nando's. I've, no, I've got a deal on some. Uh, what do you call those big things? Winnebago's. Uh, Winnebago. From Lorraine and Giles in North. Hampton. Ah. They've got a contact. Oh, well, they should know, <laughs> shouldn't they? They do. They are the king and queen of Winnebago's. Well, with their turning circle. I mean, you know, it's fabulous. Yeah. Um, do we have two final problems? We do. Oh, my goodness. I feel I should have written my own problem into you this morning. Well, I have no job. <laughs> <laughs> Help. Dear Graham. I wonder if you could see your way clear to lending me £40,000 <laughs> to tide me over. And start, and start a podcast. <laughs> Virgin Radio. Try and keep it together till 12.30. I'm doing very well. You we are go. doing very well. OK, first problem, too long. Dear Graham, and <laughs> I'm allowed to say that now. Yeah. The first thing that's wrong with you is you can't write a letter. Brevity is best. Dear Graham and Maria, I've been in a relationship for 13 years and it's been largely happy. We've had ups and downs, but the last few years have definitely been tough. A few years ago, she went through an experience that shook her as she was introduced to a whole new side of her family that she never knew existed. After picking up a DNA test for Christmas, mm -mm, dangerous, they're the warmest people and she found a new parent who she only got to meet once, sadly, before they tragically passed away. This made my partner question her identity and through this I'd helped her satisfy her curiosity. But during this time she hit out at those closest to her and that was mostly me. We'd regularly get into spats and it was the first person she I was the first person she started to pull away from. As she isn't particularly a social person, I was the only person who would support her through this, which I was more than happy to do. There was a point where she ended up on anxiety medication and we went to couples counselling a few times as our communication started to break down. We nearly broke up a few times, except simply put, I wouldn't allow it. This was only ever initiated by her and she'd always told me that I'd been the perfect loving and supportive partner and hadn't done anything wrong. But every long, teary talk has left to scar then covid hit and everything got worse she took the covid advice extremely seriously rightly so and severely limited our outside contact spending lots of time researching she's still heavily invested i don't get to do things with her anymore as she'll avoid anywhere with a crowd even restaurants there's some hypocrisy as occasionally she'll attend events with crowds to the point where we're fairly sure we've caught covid from an event she's attended I feel like she's latched onto COVID as a convenient way of not having to deal with her anxieties, using it as a reason to avoid other people. I've seen her slowly become harder and less friendly to the outside world, including me. We've worked on our relationship, but this is the main thing we keep sticking on. There's definitely enough of the warm, wonderful woman I fell in love with in there, but is there any advice you can give me to help get her back? And that is from Craig in Liverpool. Oh, Craig in Liverpool, that is a litany of oh, disasters, really. I What I would say to you, Craig, in Liverpool is, you know, well done for sticking with it, but I think finding out your identity is not what you thought it was is a massive thing for her to have to deal with. Um which she has done, and she only met the new parent once before they passed away. This is all very, very unsettling. COVID was unsettling for all of us. We all got spikier. We all got less patient. We all got more anxious. But it sounds to me like this is to the extreme. You say that she's on anxiety pills, or she was. I would say maybe go back to the doctors and also go back to counselling because... You know, there's something lurking at the bottom of this that is possibly more than she's telling you. Uh, you know, she's latched on to COVID now, you say. But I do think counselling is the answer. You know, we're a couple of radio turns and, um, you know, you, I think you need professional help. Well, certainly I think she does. Because I think there's a temptation with COVID, there was a temptation all of us had to use it 
as a kind of a get out of jail card. You know, it, it was a nice, oh, I don't have to do that. Da, 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 da. Now, it's interesting that, of course, when she actually wants to do something, as he says, you know, she will go and stand in a crowd. But it sounds to me like yeah. she doesn't go with her. No. Uh, well, oh, well, he got the COVID from somewhere. Yeah. But uh, the other thing I would say, and this is kind of by the by, but the way that people have these DNA tests for Christmas as a kind of novelty gift. I know, it's dangerous, and then isn't it? The repercussions are enormous when you find on the website you've got like a half sister or a half brother or a full sister or a full brother. It's just. I don't it, think a lot of people are prepared no. for what it might turn up. We all see. You've got Davina's to think, oh, well, I'm a little bit Spanish, it seems. You know, that's fun. But then you discover you've got a full member of a family. It's, and they're all in prison. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, you're playing with fire. I feel like maybe, that, I don't know, is there some, they should be regulated in some way because it just seems like such an enormous thing that people can just mess around with mm. and suddenly, you know, families are torn apart. Yeah. Um, and certainly Craig's partner has, you know, had a big emotional kind of blow from, from what she found it out. It does sound like she's trying to get out of this marriage and he won't allow it. I mean, do you think at some point Craig might have to concede defeat, Graham? Well, I think they're not married. Oh, well, you know, together. Yeah, I've been in a relationship for 13 years. I mean... Uh... It's it's kind of lovely that Craig is so invested in this thing, but yes, it does seem like the woman he's in love with does want to get out of this. You know, she doesn't want to socialise with you. She blames you for everything. She's taking it all out on you. You know, she's said multiple times she wants out of this relationship. Mm. It's sort of... There is sometimes a point where you think, OK, she's giving me enough clues here. And also, I wonder if you go to counselling. You know, a counsellor, sometimes counsellors don't help you maintain together. They they help you end a relationship. Yeah, they help and they kinda of go, actually, this isn't salvageable and you're not good for each other and you know it's thirteen years is a long time, Craig. Has Graham and I know. Oh, thirteen years. <laughs> let's talk about us again. Uh, yeah. It was interesting, Craig, but uh, let's talk about us. <laughs> <laughs> no, 13 years is a long Ooh. time. So, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's. I think you have to go back to therapy um, and you have to consider this, Craig, that maybe she is trying to force your hand to get out of the relationship. You know, people are generally cowardly and they want you sometimes to say the thing, this isn't working, you're right, let's separate. Yeah, it could It could be, I just, I, it's just that kind of weird, what COVID did to a lot of people. Oh, wow, they're, yeah. They're, you know, and they're still doing to yeah. a certain extent. Uh, yeah, to their mindsets. Yeah, because some people are like uh, Craig's partner and they haven't got past it. Mm. You know, the rest of us are just, you know, lolling around the place and, you know, getting COVID. Breathing. Yeah. <laughs> now, responses, part one. And my favourite responders today, oh, lucky day, you'll be getting a delicious bottle of Waitrose Champagne Blanc de Noir. The best Blanc de Noir. They're made only from Pinot Noir rather than a mixture of black grapes. Uh, made for Waitrose by Alexandre Bonnet. Thank you very much, Alexandre Bonnet. And not just that, you also get a lovely box of champagne truffles, dark chocolate shell with milk chocolate, champagne, and marked champagne ganache, coated with icing sugar. Thank you very much. Lucy in Sussex says, I've just listened to The Gift podcast, OK? Uh, this podcast is all about DNA kits, results, and what has happened. She is not alone. It sounds like she needs help counselling. It might be that you have counselling to help her. Her solid life background has gone. I don't think you can help her. I don't think you can help her. This needs professional help. I think she's using COVID as an excuse not to go out, etc. Why don't you listen to the gift with her? She really isn't alone. Thanks, Lucy and Sussex. I haven't heard about that podcast, but it must be a thing that affects so many people, these podcasts, these uh, DNA tests. Uh, Karen in Hereford. Okay, Craig, some tough love coming up here. Craig, she ain't coming back. The woman you once loved has gone and you are both trapped in resentment and you must let her go. There's a saying, if you love someone, let them free. If they come back to you, they'll be yours forever. If they don't, they were never yours. Don't let the resentment continue in the hope she'll be something she once was because that's not going to happen. All right, Karen. Uh, uh, Rach in Starbridge says, Craig, unfortunately, your partner is no longer the same person you first met. She has unveiled parts of her life that have altered so much of what she thought she was. And as we shift, much of our surroundings need to shift too. She definitely would benefit from therapy to help her with her anxiety, but I think you may have to accept that her life has evolved and her relationship may need to too. 
Um, Mark, is Mark, my, I'm not sure whether this is Michael in Hampshire or Mark in Surrey. My wife has suffered from depression since she was 16. We've been together 24 years now and over the years when she hit her lowest, she has tried to push me away through various means, including encouraging me to go and have an affair. It is a coping mechanism to push the one person who knows them better than anyone and can call them out. We can see behind the veneer. All I can suggest is to stick through it. The good times will return. You should keep pressing for her to seek help, but gently and sensitively. I always aim for the moments uh, when she is calm and open. Uh, Dear Graham Maria, could you please repeat the first problem again? I got distracted and missed it. No, no, Jay, I cannot. I, I cannot do that. Um, I'm going to give, you know what? I'm going to give the champagne truffles and the bottle of champagne to uh, Karen in Hereford and her tough love. Graham's Guide. Here's the second problem. Dear Graham and Maria, it is awkward city in my house at the moment and I need your help. My eldest daughter recently turned 18 and decided not to go to university in favour of training to be an estate agent. She's doing really well and we've been settling in to the transition of living together as adults. We've tried to be as hands-off as possible while still maintaining some basic ground rules. She's never had a relationship, really, but equally never seemed too bothered and she's had a really good group of schoolmates that we've got to know really well. But now she's an adult. She's just started to enter the dating scene. We've all had the usual chats and they've gone down as well as can be expected. But since it's the family home and we have our youngest turning 11, we explained that we didn't want her bringing back dates back to the house, specifically in her room with the door closed. My husband and I were away for a night with our eldest babysitting. And yesterday we got back. Nothing seemed unusual until I was sorting out the laundry and found a small men's shirt and a pair of boxers among my daughter's clothes. (laughs) I'm sure my husband won't mind me saying that they're far too small to be his. And I obviously went into total panic mode. What on earth do I do? And that is from Fern in Hove. Wash them? (laughs) Yes, stick them in with the whites. Everything else. Fern in Hove, what you do, I think, is you accept that your baby is now 18 and she's going to do kissing with boys. And dating a very small person. And dating someone teeny tiny. Is it is it a Kendall, perhaps? <laughs> it just sounds like yeah, little miniature. doll's clothes. Yes. Are you sure they'd already been in the wash? If I was Fern's daughter, I would say, oh, that's the dolls. It's my Kendall. You know, the film Barbie. Um, no, Fern, what you do is you take a deep breath and you say, she is growing up and there's really not very much I can do about it. What are you going to say? Whose are these pants? Yes. And then what does she say? What does the daughter say? Well, I'd say one... What? Whose are these pants? And two, what are they doing in my laundry basket? Because <laughs> that I've was no... an, a really good impression of Fern in Hove. <laughs> because I'd be livid. And, uh, but, but it's then... bad enough I'm washing your, you know, rubbish. I don't want to be washing some stranger's pants. Well, certainly, um, Fern's daughter in Hove missed a trick there by keeping those items, contraband items. Um, she should have kept them to herself, and yes. she should be doing her own washing. Yes. Well, you should be doing, but also that that Fern. Oh, we've had the discussion. We're learning to live uh, as uh, adults. She thought it was appropriate to put some dirty laundry <laughs> from some guy uh, into the laundry basket. No, there also, needs to be another conversation. Shirts and boxes. What were they doing that necessitated the shirt and boxes? And being... also, how did he leave the house? <laughs> did he wear some of your fat husbands? <laughs> Waddling down the street. <laughs> He'll be very easy to spot. Yeah, a bit of baler twine, holding Look, his pants up. I think this is going to happen, and this is what young girls do. This is what you do when you're 18 years old. You mess up, and you can have the argument that says, if you want to live uh, like that, then you have to find your own place. But you don't really want her to leave Fern in Hove. You just don't want her to bring other people's laundry home. Yes. And also, I mean, the whole point, you had the thing about, uh, oh, the young youngest is turning 11 and blah blah so did you take the 11 year old no away? she was babysitting the 11 year old I was Look, my to... husband away for a night with our eldest that must be the eldest turned 18 babysitting oh I see yeah yes yeah I got were it were you yeah. listening I was but I thought not they, really I thought the three of them had gone away to babysit <laughs> 
because it's not written very well. A for how have you got? How have you got as far as you have? The three of them have gone away to babysit. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounded like. But uh, I get your point. So yeah. Yeah, that's bad. That is bad that she was in charge of an eleven-year-old and there was a very small man wandering around the house. Yeah, a tiny man. Yeah. You just say, did you have someone stay over? I don't think you have to hold up exhibit A and exhibit B. I think just say to her, listen, girl's name, did you have someone to stay over because we're not happy about this with your 11-year-old sister in the house and uh, you're grounded and give me your phone? I... (laughs) That never will, works I anymore. think we will agree with you. Uh, you can WhatsApp us. It's plus four four triple three double zero triple three double zero. If you'd like to get in touch, the Graham's Guide responses will be later in the program. Yes, they will. And I would just like to say because obviously we've been here for just over three years, but before Graham and I were, <laughs> we're somewhere else, somewhere else at the BBC, we're allowed to say, <laughs> and I'm allowed to say no, they can't find me. <laughs> um, and in the there we must leave for you. <laughs> I just want to say, in the, I was thinking on the train coming in here, on the 13 years that we've been together, it does feel slightly like a divorce, you know, a marriage without the sex. Oh. Like most divorces, really. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right. In the 13 years we've been together, that's at Virgin and the BBC, the country has hosted a brilliant Olympics. Do you remember that, 2012? Yes. We've said goodbye to Europe. We've said hello to the terrible pandemic. I've lost three and a half bikes. We've lost four dogs between us. Yes. Uh, we've both written books, you considerably more than me. We lost a queen and gained a king. We hosted as a country Eurovision and even came second. You bagged yourself a lovely husband. I got myself a stalker in prison now. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say, because it has been such a lovely time, uh, and really the listeners are responsible for yes. that. Um, you know, we couldn't have done this without you. And thank you so much for your truly touching messages, both yesterday and today, and for your problems that we have spat on, basically. Yes, we, we, haven't, on. we haven't helped many people and over 30 years. And for your solutions. The solutions have been yes, helpful. Yes, no, those have helped, yeah. And that we will miss you. We will be back, probably. Um, just sorting out finance. Yeah, well, yeah just uh, talking to some investors. I've got a hedge fund. Uh, just a hedge fund interested. We will miss you, but our old bikes are slowing down. I'm up to 3.5 now <laughs> on my reading glasses. So farewell or abianto. Abianto, I say. And, yes. uh, it has been really fun. Fun, Maria. Thank you very much. Oh, shut up. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh. Oh. It's Sue Radio, everyone. It's Sue Radio. They've, they've got the oiks from Talk Radio in to do the clapping. <laughs> we both remained admirably dry eyed throughout. <laughs> uh, take care, darling. Okay. Lots of love. See you at lunch. Our responses part. Two, no, part two. Yes, it is part two. That's what that's what happens here. And again, my favourite responders will be getting uh, a bottle of Waitrose Champagne Blanc de Noir and Waitrose Partners number one Champagne Truffles. <gasps> Ooh, happy day. Our second letter was from Fern from Hove. And uh, basically, your eldest daughter recently turned 18 and decided not to go to university but train as an estate agent. Fine. They're learning to adult together. There are some ground rules. Uh, you can date, obviously, but please don't bring people back to the house and if you do no closed doors you know etc fernar fernar anyway uh, husband and away for a night husband and fern were away for a night came back in the laundry basket she found uh, what did she find a shirt and uh, some boxers uh, not being rude to her husband but too small for him and also you'd know them wouldn't you fern uh, where do they come from so it's all very awkward uh shay fern right now uh, what advice do we have for her Hi, Graham. Fern's daughter is a trainee estate agent. Why on earth isn't she using the hundreds of houses she has access to? Fern's daughter clearly needs to learn to adult better. That's Stuart Needs. P.S. This does not constitute legal advice. No. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a sackable offence. Uh, I, I don't think you're meant to do that. Uh, I think you also need to consider how to approach the situation sensitively from another perspective. What if your daughter is exploring her gender sexual identity and wore those male items for herself? <gasps> Robin with a Y. Oh, my goodness. Having a calm conversation between the two of you is important and ensure that your other family members are out of the house. Robin, you're a kind of genius. I mean, that didn't cross my mind at all. But that would explain the uh, the miniature... <laughs> the miniature size of the, the men's clothing. Wow. Uh, French, uh, Fern, Fern should get a video doorbell for all doors so she can see who's coming and going. Fiona in Surrey. 
Do it. Do it. Mm, Marvellous. Sarah from Tynemouth. What was she doing? Amateur error. Her mom needs to up her parenting skills and talk to her about the dark arts of sneaking boys back and laundry. I'm so with you, Sarah. I mean, what, what you just wouldn't put you wouldn't put them in there. Uh, would you prefer your daughters were doing it behind the shed or in the back seat of a car? All right, Anne in Ireland. This is only Anne in Ireland <laughs> behind a shed. Uh, they are hopefully being safe and getting the newness of sex out of their system and not jumping into bed with dodgy characters. Just tiny ones. Uh, remember your first encounter. Was it romantic or drunk at Vumble in a cupboard? <laughs> Anne, I think there's a window into your world. Uh, if your daughter feels confident enough to bring her boyfriend home, celebrate it. Put some boundaries down. And remember, you were young once. Uh, I would wash the teeny tiny person's clothes and fold them neatly and leave them on the bed with my daughter's washing, giving her the opportunity to confess. I wouldn't say much except for the words... I'm just disappointed. <gasps> oh, everyone knows those words cut like a knife. Uh, Leanne from Riddle. Well done. Uh, I'm going to give the champagne, truffles and champagne to uh, Sarah from Tynemouth. Yeah. And uh, just quickly to say thank you so much uh, to all the people who wrote in asking for help and to all of the advice uh, that you've then given to us uh, to pass on to the listeners. Thank you thank you thank you uh that is it graham's guide uh is out of here there you go the graham norton radio show with waitrose food to feel good about virgin radio laura donnelly uh starring in the hills of california in the west end uh it's right there it's there now and it's there till the 15th of june uh welcome laura thank you very much uh now i've read reviews of this it sounds like such a gift of a role for an actor yes. uh, Tell us about the, this this sort of stage mother you play. Yes, so the uh, the character is Veronica, and I am uh, based in this guest house in Blackpool. The play takes place over two periods of time, and so the 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 mother role that I play is exists mainly in the nineteen fifties, as we see the the kind of the childhood of these women that we have met in the nineteen seventies. And she is, uh, I mean. It's hard, you know, you don't want to use, throw words like monster out. <laughs> but, but she is very ambitious for these girls. Well, she's ambitious, but I, and of course, you know, you you have to uh, be able to see the, the compassionate side of any character that you play. But I do not see her as a kind of this momzilla that, uh, that I think some people do take her like that. But I see a woman who is just trying her very, very best and wants a life for her girls that is magical and that is beyond what she thinks they're going to experience if they just have what she had or what most other people have in Blackpool in the 50s. And I think that her ambition for them isn't based in this kind of Mama Rose, we all want to be famous type thing, but is more one of, I just, she says, I want them to to live, to soar. So it's not about... The money, and it's not about fame as such, but it's just about them having something, a, a wonderful, wonderful life. And I suppose back then too, the uh, the opportunities for women absolutely were, weren't there weren't many. No, exactly. And I think that in Veronica's time, you know, if you think back, she will have just lived through two world wars. She is in this small town, albeit a very exciting kind of showbiz town, as, as yes. Blackpool was at yeah. that time. But she, still is, sorry, and still is, yeah, still is, absolutely. And um, she just can see that there, there is, uh, there's something else coming down the line that is, you know, even already at that point, people are, um, well, when we when we meet these women in the seventies and they are in Blackpool, they've returned to Blackpool. Blackpool is not fully what it was because people have begun having holidays in in Europe and you know it is it has begun somewhat of a decline in terms of its show business and so she I think she has a sense of that coming even even already and she wants them to have more yeah and what sort of actor are you were you wearing a headscarf wandering around Blackpool kind of getting (laughs) trying to feel the mood No, funnily enough. <laughs> um, no, I'm very much a read the text and get it from that kind of actor. I've learned it. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know there's a lot of lines, guys. Um, no, I mean, the the incredible thing about Jez Butterworth's writing is that it is all there for you. All the information yeah. that you need is there. He does 
the work and and I and I you know can speak for the uh, for the rest of the cast in that we have all discussed that and the idea that you come in and really all you need is what is on the page. I mean yeah. we all do our research we do our due diligence but um but he he has usually created characters that are not uh, that are much more universal than that. And so really you want to get into the heart and the emotion and the relationships. And uh, forgive me if I'm being stupid, is this Jez Butterworth's first play since Jerusalem? No. So he has since Jerusalem done The River and The Ferryman. Wait and a minute, then... they're since Jerusalem? Yes, because Jerusalem oh, was first Oh, is that because they out... just keep reviving it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh. It, is, it is his first play since the Jerusalem revival about <laughs> like 18 months ago, two years ago. But oh, yeah. it was written, it was first performed back in something like 2009, 10, something oh, like that. Oh, right. I'm an, mm-hmm. I am an idiot. So because you were in The River and The Ferryman. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. And The Ferryman got you to Broadway. It did. Yes, that was a lot of fun. I mean, what's that like? Because the ferryman is such a kind of, you know, so specific and specific to you. Yeah. Because uh, you, you have a particular connection to that play, don't yes, you? Yes, yeah. So it was uh, in somewhat, you know, a, a part of the story or the basis of the story was based in uh, my family's history, my, my mother's brother and... Um, what went on in the 80s in in Northern Ireland. And then, of course, as Jez tends to do, he takes in elements from every other part of his life and, and connects things um, to, tell a, to tell a robust story. But yes, absolutely, the, the kind of genesis of that was very much based in, in my family story. Wow. And so t- telling it on Broadway yeah. must be such a, a, I mean, kind of out-of-body experience. It really is. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's something... To, that I felt very, very proud of. And it also in many ways was just so cathartic because it was a story that was based on the silence that exists around the, you know, what was going on. Um, you know, it was a story to do with the disappeared in Northern Ireland. That is a, a, a subject that I could kind of talk about all day, but that the, the silence surrounding that was profound. And that that pervaded my childhood. And so to be able to take that out and tell it on a great big stage, shine a big spotlight on yeah. it and have everybody understand that to some degree was, yeah, I was hugely proud of it. Do you, I guess you don't read, do you read them? No, I don't. And I'm going to go to the opposite to you. I'm going to say, no, please don't Google the reviews because the less you know about it, the better. Oh, actually, we, were just talk- we were just talking about this. You're right. You're right, Laura. The less you know going in, the better. Just yeah. trust me, it's really good. Please come. <laughs> That's all we need to say. It's, and it's by Jess Butterworth and, you know, it, and there's Laura Donnelly in it. Um, was this written for you? It was, yeah. Uh, he kind of had um, had ideas for it uh, over several years. And I guess some of those probably predate our relationship. But when, when it came to kind of pulling it all together, we, we chatted about it right from the beginning. And it was just kind of always assumed that I would do it, which is a very lovely and luxurious place to be in as an actor. And it and it really helps as well in, then in the process of what I've got to do. I yeah. already know so much about it by the time that I've even sat down. You know, I don't have to do all the check of digging in what really does this line mean. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I know it. So it's, it's a real luxury. But and in that creative process, I mean, you're there and you're talking, but do you have kind of uh, like actual input in kind of like... I really try not to because I don't think the world needs Laura Donnelly's version of a play. <laughs> and, um, I think he's he's proven himself to be pretty good at these things. So if he does try and draw me into giving an opinion, I try and resist really because I don't want to shape it. I don't. I want to know what he has in mind, and then I just want to do my my bit, the interpretation of it. Yeah. So I yeah I feel like my getting involved in in that part of it could could I'd hate to steer it off course. But also is. <laughs> it weird because you're thinking oh he thinks that you know what I mean he thinks that this is part of my character or that I'll be able to do this or yeah I mean I think what keeps astounding me is what he thinks I'm capable of (laughs) I read and I go oh really I mean it it did get quite dicey in that that about two weeks before we opened he tried to throw another song that I would play on the piano in and and I don't actually play piano I mean I play piano in the play but that's because I learnt to do that specifically for the play and it's by far the most nerve wracking element of this character was was, you know getting that together and then he just tried to throw in another one a couple of weeks before we opened and I was like no no that's not happening did you do that thing of learning not learning how to play the piano just learning how to play one song pretty much I mean I did I had about 
I would say roughly somewhere between 10 and 20 lessons leading up to to opening just to try and get as you know as much uh, experience with it as possible but really the the idea of sitting in front of you know 800 people and talking at the same time as playing these notes I just had to drill those very specific things there was not any going off piste that are you like, are you comfortable with it now? I'm completely comfortable with it now, which is which is just <laughs> astonishing. I mean, I really hoped that I would get to that place, but I didn't know if I ever would. And now it's a case of, like, even if I know that I'm about to really mess it up, which of course happens, um, you know, I, I'll be looking at the keys and suddenly everything will just look black and white. And I'll be like, oh, I do not know what the next <laughs> chord is. So, But then I'm totally happy to just not play that and just pick back up again wherever. Oh, so you're it, able to dip back into yeah, it. Yeah, so it, it feels that level of comfortable now, which just thank God. <laughs> are you just playing or are people singing while you play? People are singing while I play oh, as that's well. That's worse. I know. There's talking, <laughs> singing, and playing because all at the same time. Someone's going to sound wrong. <laughs> exactly. No, luckily, the singers are much better at singing than I am at piano playing. So they can they can just go with it regardless. But yeah, it was it was thoroughly terrifying. It is the most terrifying thing I've I've kind of uh put myself to on a stage yeah, yeah, in that yeah. sense yeah and because you know his plays and your collaborations have had this international success is there as an idea that they particularly because it's called the hills of california mm. do you think this one will also go to broadway i mean that would be amazing i love broadway i love doing um yeah i love doing their it always changes a bit out there. It's a different kind of audience, it's a different kind of reaction. And it's a really, really exciting place to bring a play. And so if we get the opportunity, I will be there with bells on. But it's above my pay grade, that one. So yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds like it's going to happen. Uh, the Hills of California, it, it kicked off um, last month. It finishes its limited season on the 15th of June. Hills of California Play. Hills of California Play, that's all one word, dot com. That is where you go to get tickets to see Laura Donnelly starring in the Hills of California. Thank you so much for coming Thank in to you. see us. Enjoy the rest of your day off. Thank you very much. Oh, what a lovely day. What a lovely day off. What will I do? <laughs> I know. I'll go and wang on to that man on the radio. Um, especially for you, uh, hear the chorus. I know oh, you're. Thanks. I know you're a big fan. Massive. <laughs> Do you know any of them? I've met some. Yeah, there you go. We've all met a core. <laughs> thanks a lot, Laura. Here we go. Still to come, the lovely Callum Scott Howells will be rounding off today's podcast, chatting about his new show, The Way, which is on the BBC. But wait a second, because show chef Martha is here with the trolley ding ding. You join us at an exciting moment in the show, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Denyer has just delivered the coffee. Woohoo! Thank you very much. Aww. Shutting up his barista shop now. He's folding his apron. <laughs> He's just cleaning the milk steamer. And uh, yeah, that's the end of it. Uh, but also in the studio now, Martha Collison, show chef. Hello. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well also. We should say that you're not going anywhere. Uh, when Angela's here um, next week, you will be cooking up a storm for her as well. Yes, I've got a few weeks to remaining to cook up a few more things for Angela. Yes, and before your... Myst- mysterious guests. Yes, <laughs> before your own <laughs> oven is <laughs> ready to be opened. There you go. Exactly. Oh, well, uh, good luck with all of that. Uh, you have made my favourite. What have you made? I have, well, this is the garlic and hoisin braised tofu udon with pak choy. And I think it must have been about two years ago that I made this for you. Yeah. And I love that it has stuck in your memory for so long. It must be a good recipe. No, honestly, I, I, it's one of those things where every time, I, I, I think... You know when you go to waitrose.com slash chef, I don't think it's there. I <gasps> don't think the it's there. So you have to <laughs> you have to Google it separately. And of course, I never have the ingredients on my phone. So I, I'm always, and I have to be at the front of Waitrose so I can get a signal. And <laughs> I'm trying to like, what the hell is in it? So I think that's why my, I've, my, I, I think it isn't as good as it used to be because I now improvise and I shouldn't improvise. Ooh. Have you done anything that's made it better? Because sometimes you can throw things in that, you think, oh, actually, that's enhanced my dish. I make more sauce than they suggest. Okay. Make it more saucy. Yeah, I think I double the quantities for the sauce. Oh, I like that. Uh, so it's it's gloppier. Nice. And I also leave the pak choy in for longer than they suggest. Okay. I've, I've found like a little bit more a little bit less crunchy yeah just a little bit less crunchy uh, and it, and who so this was originally by Ellie Kirshen yes Ellie Pear or Ellie Kirshen she goes by both oh 
um, used to have a lovely cafe in Bristol. Now writes wonderful vegetarian pescatarian recipes for Waitrose. She does all of the too good to waste stuff. But yeah, this is one of those recipes. And it's brilliant. It's a vegan recipe. And the smoked tofu, I think, is what makes it special. Yes, but also I like the way that it's teared by hand. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, because often if you chop it up a QB, it feels a bit like, oh, what's that? Yeah. But somehow tearing it, it gives it, I don't know, a kind of a nice texture that you, you were kind of expecting in food. Exactly. And it gets a bit crispy in the pan. And it's mm. it's nice to have the firm tofu because I'm similar to you and it's the kind of flobble flobble tofu. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And also when you're like being a bit aggressive with a stir fry, it just falls apart anyway. But this, yeah. it's supposed to fall apart. It's lovely and dry and crumbly and then it has this yeah. lovely sauce. I also put in more udon noodles. <laughs> Just put more of everything. Yeah. I just make a lot more of this than they suggest just... for two people. Well, it's just as delicious as I remember it. The garlic and hoisin braised tofu udon and pak choy. Uh, it, it, I mean, the, the fact that I have continually made this over the last few years uh, suggests it's quite easy to make. So uh, uh, tell us the quite simple recipe. It is a lovely simple. I have to say, Graham, when they said we're going to ask Graham to make whatever whatever his favourite is, you're going to create it. I thought, oh my goodness, my head was racking. What are the recipes I've made that Graham's really enjoyed? And then they said it was this one. I thought, wonderful. 20 minutes yeah. in the kitchen. I'd like beef wellington, please. <laughs> Give me a break. I appreciate it. So we are taking um, some salad onions and you want to cut them, separate them into the green bit and the white bit. Yes. The white bit is going into some oil in a frying pan and we're stir frying that with some ginger, a chopped garlic clove and a little bit of chilli paste. And you can add a bit more chilli paste if you like it to have a bit more of a kick to it. Now you tell me. <laughs> but two <laughs> teaspoons is what um, Ellie recommends. You want to stir fry that for a few moments and then we're crumbling in this smoked tofu which is really firm. You want to press any as much of the water out as possible yeah. so that it doesn't get kind of slimy in the pan. You want it to get crispy crumble that in give it a nice big old stir then we go in with our noodles just those thick straight to wok udon noodles that only take a couple of minutes some pak choy which you want to shred into ribbons and then we're pouring over this hoisin sauce because it's hoisin braised tofu so you need yep. to you need to do the braising element so we're just for that we're just mixing together in a small bowl two tablespoons of hoisin sauce one and a half tablespoons of soy sauce and one and a half tablespoons of rice wine vinegar that's probably the thing that people are like oh i don't normally have that but it's really good in lots of different stir fry recipes adding that acidity a little bit of water in there as well then you pour that over everything let it braise for three to four minutes i think it is and yep. then into a big old pan top it with the green bits of your spring onions that you saved and serve it up and honestly, it is one of those recipes, it is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm. Somehow it all comes together. It's proper comfort food. It's a really quick, easy dinner. And I love the, those udon noodles are just delicious. Oh, it's one yeah. of the best ways to eat them. And yeah, the sauce is really silky and kind of grips on. It's, it's a good one. You picked a goodie to end on. Oh, very good. Uh, can you give us a, a slight preview of what uh, Angela might be getting next week? Or you Ooh, don't know? Do you know what? I do know, no. but my brain is not going to be able to recall <laughs> that information. <laughs> Something delicious. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Uh, well, Martha, thank you so much for keeping me well fed uh, for the last few years. It's been such a treat and a privilege to get to eat all your gorgeous cooking. Oh, it's really. been such a joy for me. Thank you so much for being so enthusiastic and encouraging and kind and welcoming to me. And so many top tips. Enjoyed it. So many top tips, which now, of course, I can't remember any of them. But, uh, <laughs> but in my head, they're there. It's on the podcast. <laughs> there are things I do. There are things I do that you've taught me. Uh, thank oh, you so I much. That. Thanks, Graham. All right, take care and good and good luck with everything in Thank the future. Thank you, baby Graham. Yeah, <laughs> what a lovely name. That, that would be a name. what a lovely touching <laughs> tribute that would be. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll talk to you along the way. Take care now, Martha. Bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. We welcome Callum Scott Howells to the show. Hello. Hello. It's so good to be here. Well, lovely to see you. I'm on a Sunday too. I love it. It's my favourite day of the week. Well, it would be if you had a day off. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> today, they put you in a car and they made you come here. Because you were saying you're working in Bath at the moment. I am, yeah. I'm doing a view from the bridge. Um, the Arthur Miller play um, in the Eustonov in Bath, which is a sort of 100, 120 seater. Um, and we're having a whale of a time. Like, it's, it's you and Dominic West, obviously, there's other people in it too, but I don't know who they are. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, that's They're all a, very good. Yeah, but, but that's a lot of star power for a tiny studio theatre. Yeah, we, we the, the show sold out in like half an hour or something. It was wow. something mad like that. So it was, it was, it's been 
it's really special to be there and it's nice to be out of London doing something like that and, and the audiences are, are very different every night and you hear everything because it's so intimate and it's did you yeah. rehearse at Bath? we rehearsed in London we were at the Jerwood space uh, and then we and then we went out to Bath really recently so we've been open about a week now um, and we, we're there for the next three weeks and then we come into the West End in the summer at the Haymarket oh wow I mean, that would be such a weird thing to be suddenly doing it in a big barn of a theatre. Exactly. Like, we can't hear you. <laughs> yes. Speak up, Howells. <laughs> yeah. But I've never done it before. I've never kind of done anything out of town and brought it in. So it's um, it's new for me and I, I, I can't wait. And it's my first kind of Arthur Miller place yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's very it's all it's all very new and i'm learning a lot but i'm loving it i'm having a whale of a time all right let's talk about what you're really here the way the way is on uh bbc it's all available on bbc iplayer uh, but it, it's episodically happening on monday so episode two happens uh this monday at nine o'clock so yeah. you play uh owen yeah. uh, in the driscoll family tell us about the family and what they go through yeah so i play owen uh who is the son of the family um and we we kind of find owen at the start going through a like a mental health crisis and also he's also going he's 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 um he's grappled with it with it, grappling with addiction um he's addicted to benzodiazepines um and and essentially what happens is is that um he's fallen out with his family and then they 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 find themselves amidst this kind of civil uprising that takes place because of the steelworks the threat of the steelworks closing down in Potalba and then they have to go on this kind of physical journey across the country because they have to uproot and leave because they become the faces of this uprising and then the, the country sort of turns against them, the government and everything. Um, so it's it's a it's a piece full of kind of like anger, frustration, passion. And um yeah, it was it was it was so fun to make and it's and it's it's a really exciting piece and very different, I think. Because it's almost like a, a kind of a, the story of refugees turned on its head. Yeah, it's sort of an, an inverted story of of refugees. So we we kind of we're kind of telling it through our lens. You know, if it, if it was to happen on our soil per se. Yeah. So it's 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 very um, you know, we, it's it's it feels very like prescient, I think, and it feels very current. Um, and I think it's it's a very interesting piece, and I'm and I feel very proud to be a part of it. And I I think. For me, I think why why I love it so much is because I think you know it's it's so different for the BBC to be making something like this, and yeah. I think yeah to be a part of it is something very um unique. And at the top of it is this extraordinary triumvirate of people: uh, Michael Sheen, who mm. directed it and helped come up with the idea, and plays and my then, grandfather. Oh yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> and uh, documentary maker Adam Curtis, and then James Graham. Yeah, uh, wrote it. So, at what stage do you get involved in in all of that? So, for me, it was a very like kind of normal process. I I auditioned for it. You know, they, they they had spent I think things something like ten years or near enough on the on the piece, kind of like it, from from conception to idea to kind of getting it made and written. So it's um it's been a long gestation period for them. But then what happened is when it got commissioned by the BBC properly, I then auditioned for it. I sent a self tip in and met Michael, and I'd never met Michael before. So then I I went for a coffee with him and chatted about the piece, and then I I kind of from the, from that point on I just really wanted to be involved. But uh, aren't you in? You've done something else with Michael. No, but I think you might be confusing it with the with the beautiful game, which is another, which is the homeless World Cup film that I'm in, but that Michael kind of was involved with. Michael Michael put on the homeless World Cup in Cardiff. Ah, oh, I see. Which is very like when I say to a lot of people I'm I'm in this film, they're kind of like, oh, with Michael Heen, and I'm like, well, no, Michael did. Michael hosted the tournament in Wales, which was huge. I see. Oh, because yeah. I just assumed you knew each other because of no, that. No, no. Although you know, people often often go to me sometimes they're like oh Michael's Welsh are you related <laughs> I do get that a lot which I'm sure you get as well yeah. are you his grandson <laughs> yes well yeah kind of <laughs> um, whereabouts in Wales are you from I'm from the Rhondda Valley which is about uh, uh, 25 minutes outside of Cardiff um, so yes um, it's, so you're it's familiar sort of, enough with Port Talbot yeah exactly yeah I'm about, I'm about 45 minutes away from Port Talbot so it's near enough but I kind of didn't really go there a lot growing up but um, filming there, I learned a lot about kind of the town and, and, its, and its history. It's steeped in history, that town. You know, it's... I wonder what you're going to say there. <laughs> <laughs> it's steeped in... It's steeped in... Steel. History. History. Yeah. That's what it's steeped in. And what was it like? Because you're filming in Port Talbot and mm. it's not standing in for Port Talbot. So, you know, the people of Talbot, Talbot are going, oh, 
this is us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were, were they friendly? Were they on board because of Michael? Well, they're in it. Like the people of Patalbot, they did a big casting call um, before we started filming of we want we want the people of Patalbot to be part of our show. So, you know, because fundamentally, I think it is their story. It's it's theirs to tell. You know, it's it's it's, it's certainly not mine. You know, cause I'm, I'm not from Patalbot. So actually having those people involved and obviously Michael being such a heavy presence on, on, on set, I got to kind of really throw myself into kind of what it is like to be from Patalba and live in Patalba and be part of the community there. They, they were amazing. Our, our supporting artists, they, they were, they, they were, all those riot sequences at yes. the end of Act One, they were, they, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have kind of got my performance, I think, out, out as much as I did because they, they really kind of went for it and it was, made it so thrilling to be a part of. And also, I mean, it's weird because I, I you know, when you do that drive, I used to go, go get the ferry and you're coming from Cardiff and you yeah. just come around a corner and you're just like, what is this? Yeah. Who lives here? I know. Because Port Talbot is so strange looking, but it's oddly very photogenic. Yes. And I think they do that very well in the show. Like they make it, they make it kind of look eerie and, and beautiful and haunting. It's it's all those things in one. And, and yeah, like you got, I, I feel the same. Like you on the M4, like you you come from Cardiff and you, you're heading to Swansea or something and you pass Port Talbot and you're like, what is this place? The steelworks are such a... It, it it is it has such this like beautifully haunting presence yeah. over the town. Well, you know, and, and you, you know, I I sometimes forget that the that Patalbot was built for the steelworks. You know, it was built to kind of house the people who work there. So yeah. it's very um, yeah, it's a very unique town, and you know, it's unique but also not unique. Like because I guess where I come from, you know, Trioki, the Ronda, it, it, that, that's a mining community. So I guess a lot of the houses there were built for the mines. So it's, yeah, it, it, Wales is is full of these kind of like you know industrial towns. Yeah, and I guess what the difference is the the steelworks have lasted longer than the the mines but so yeah and and, and that the beginning of the show with the accident and the industrial unrest i mean that seems like uh, that's almost based on on fact is it or is it well i think kind of unfortunately so we did you know we we when we were making the show we knew you know the the, the situation at the steelworks has always been um on a knife edge um certainly in, in recent history and and i think what what's happened really recently since since Afton's wrapping the show is that you know now they they're threatening to close the blast furnaces which means that the future of the steelworks is very scary yeah. so what what is sad is that that's happened now as our show is airing so you know it's it it feels like we've planned it but we really haven't like it's it's you know it's been so sad to see kind of how what's happened and it, and you know i my thoughts and all my love i'm i'm sending all the way to botal but right now it's it's um yeah it's really sad for all the workers and their families and you mentioned the beautiful game of the the homeless world cup that yeah. comes out when does that come out that comes out uh next month um at the end of next month um I think I'm allowed to say that. I think, oh God, I don't want to get into trouble. But it comes out next month, and um, and it's it's very or not <laughs> or not. But um, I'm very excited about that. It's a, it's a it's a movie um that um we filmed uh I think like two years ago. Now. Yeah, it's gonna be filmed in a long it's been time. A long ago. time yeah. coming. So it's um yes, it's coming out very soon, and I'm I'm very excited for people to see it. Wow. So you got the way, you got that, and you're gonna be. Are you allowed to say that you're gonna be in the West End? You, well, you've said yes, that already. I, yeah. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> too late now. Too late. Yeah. Wow. He's a loose cannon, Carlos. <laughs> house uh, you're going to be at Theatre Old Haymarket in the summer in view for the bridge uh, congratulations on all your continued success thank you Callum. so much Graham. congratulations on your, on your show it's, it's, it's the best you're, you're the best <laughs> yeah. hold the lift doors uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming to you're see okay. it and that's it uh, you'll be in safe hands with the show next week as Angela Scanner will be looking after you from 9.30 on Saturday and Sunday thank you so much for listening to me Graham Norton on the Graham Norton Radio Show with the Waitrose this is not a goodbye as you will be hearing me popping up every now and again here on Virgin Radio thank you so much for listening to me for these past years and don't forget we're always on YouTube if you want to see highlights from the show for now goodbye and I'll speak to you soon the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.